Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hey, Michael, how are you? Guys, I'm so, 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 so sorry. I don't know why I thought this was 1.30. I really apologize. How sorry are you? I'm like so sorry. Are you sorry enough to do the interview without a shirt on? What's up with this bullshit? <laughs> I'm looking at your Instagram and your body is ridiculous. What the fuck? You should never be wearing a shirt. That should be against the law. Did we freeze? Did you I know, lose I you? Think... No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, I get I get an enormous amount of shit for uh, for 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 barely wearing shirts in um, my images, but I, you know, it's something that I work hard on. So I just say fuck it. Yeah, guys, you need to follow him. He's also such a positive. His name is Michael Cherno. I'm going to do an intro in a second, but his name is Michael Cherno, and his last name is spelled C-H-E-R-N-E-N-O-W, Cherno. And um, he's such a positive person. You're almost like a life coach as well. When I listen to your, when I listen to your, what is it called? Little videos of, you know, encouragement. I think they're so great and they inspire me because I'm not a very positive person. But in any case, I want to get to the intro here. So I've got Michael Cherno. He is from the Born or Made podcast. He's also the creator of Creatures of Habit. And if you're going to Google that, it's with a K. It's K-R-E-A-T, Creatures of Habit. And it's a lifestyle brand of clothing and accessories and consumables. And he's finally launching his own all-natural protagonist oatmeal, which he created himself that has 30 grams of protein that he's been eating. Uh, you've been eating it yourself for 17 years, but it's now finally available to the public, right? That's Michael? correct. So now if we eat it, are we going to have your body? That's all I want to know. Um, you know, I can't make that guarantee, but I okay. can say that yes. it'll definitely be a step in the right direction. Great. That's all I want to hear. I'll do that. Listen, somebody years ago told me to drink wheatgrass. I drank wheatgrass. They told me to put matcha powder in my tea. I put it in my tea. I just, if it's in a, if it's a step in the right direction, I'm in for it. That's what I do. Um, you're also the founder of two restaurants called Seymour's and is, did I say it right? Yep. Seymour's and Meatballers. And you're also a husband of a beautiful wife and two young boys. You got it. But, but the restaurant yeah. is, is at, is, is the meatball shop. Our Instagram handle is at Meatballers. At Meatballers for the Instagram. Okay. There's a bigger story here that I don't know how you feel about talking about it, but I know you're honest and transparent. You've been sober from drugs and alcohol for the past 17 years, and I want to find out how you did it. And more importantly, how you did it with such a positive attitude. And you did it creating a beautiful family, a healthy lifestyle, and just a great attitude. And I just want to get to that because it's hard to achieve. You know, it's hard to achieve. There are people that don't go through half of what you've been through and still wake up and can't seem to find out what they want to do with their lives or, you know, can't seem to find the energy to stay positive. But I heard a rumor. Is it true that you've become now a competitive bodybuilder? Yeah. So I'm actually a, a professional bodybuilder and I've got a, a contest um, in four weeks here. So I am in the absolute, like I am, I am, <laughs> I am hungry. I'm very, very <laughs> hungry as we speak. I am incredibly hungry. 
Okay. So I just, see, this is my big, I love this conversation. We seem very much alike. Brad tells me too. Brad knows you a lot better than I do. He says that he reminds us of each other. So here's my biggest thing. I'm sick of being hungry. I'm just sick of being fucking hungry all the time. So, but I thought bodybuilders are supposed to keep eating and eating in order to build muscle. So you go through phases throughout the year. Okay, but wait, why are you, I hear a little bit of staticky. Why is that? What's going on? And I want to hear you clearly. You hear static. A little static. Uh, Pilar, are we okay? Can you hear static or are you okay with this? I can hear a little static, but I think it has to do with Michael's internet connection a little bit. Okay, so let's keep going because anything Michael says, I want to hear it perfectly because I like what he has to say. So So now- Let's, well, I mean, how is it now? How's my, uh, how's my audio now? There is a little static. We've got a little static going on there. So I don't know why it's. Should I try to move to a different place and see if it's better? Pilar, what do you think? Um, Maybe. Do you, have, do you have like a pair of AirPods or earphones that you can wear? Maybe that's going to be a little better. Yes. Give me one moment. You got give it. Me a, okay. This is the good thing about doing a podcast. We're not live. Okay. Can you guys, can you guys hear me right now? Oh my God, I can hear you great. Yeah, I think this is a, better. sounds better than you. This is a great connection. Now you sound better than me. So now we have to change it again. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I want to get back to the starving part of, because I know that you're a professional bodybuilder now and you're saying you're always, you're always starving, which is one of my biggest things because I eat very little and I do snack a lot because I like my chocolate, but I do eat very little and healthy, very healthy food. But I like to stay very trim. I always say I judge guys on their stomach. I am not impressed if you have big shoulders and a big chest. You want to show me you have a good body, just lift your shirt up. Otherwise, I'm not interested. That tells me everything, the midsection. So getting back to you, I thought with bodybuilding, the whole point was to eat as much as you can eat. Meat, protein, eggs, and just keep eating in order to be to build muscle. So you're you're right in in one in one um, area. There's phases throughout the year as a bodybuilder where you're eating an enormous amount. Where you know you basically get to a point where you are no longer showing abs. You get to about fifteen to seventeen percent body fat, and that's your that's called your bulking phase, and that's where you are really trying to build muscle. The other six months of the year, you're cutting because you're walking into show season. And so right now, for me, I'm at the end of my cut. And at the end of my cut, about a month, five to five to four to six weeks before a, for, for a competition, I'm eating very little and specifically very little carbohydrates. So right now, my protein is high. My carbohydrates are very low and my fat is very low. So I'm hungry. I'm hungry and I'm, but I'm sharp as a tack. So, you know, I'm like, I'm like a, a fucking, I'm like a, like a silver bullet, right. um, but I'm hungry, man. I'm so hungry. how so half the year I eat and the other half of the year I start. Okay. So how grumpy are you? How old, are you, how old are your boys? First of all, my, my kids are six and four. Okay. So, okay. We have seven-year-old twins. So your kids are six and four and I know what it's like. I've just been there. How, when I'm hungry, 
even if I'm not hungry, even if I eat dinner, if I didn't have my chocolate yet and my kids are still up and I'm trying to hide it from them, I can't even concentrate on what they're telling me. They could be speaking Mandarin. They can be doing backflips and front flips. I'm not interested. I need to have my chocolate before I can concentrate. How are you not grumpy at home when you're hungry? I mean, this is, you're, you're in training. So this is going on month after month. You know, I, like you said, right? I walk through life with a positive mindset. I really do. And, and a lot of that for me has been practicing patience. Patience is, is everything. And so when I'm in a place like now, and you're definitely right. Like I'm, I, I can get, I can get snappy and irritable. There's no doubt about it when I'm super hungry. Um, however, the, the biggest practice of patience for me is when I'm in a state like this and I can pause something that something happens that typically wouldn't bother me. However, because I'm in this super hungry place, it does bother me. I actually play a game with it. I sort of gamify it and I pause and I practice this mainly with my mother. My mother is the one that pushes my fucking buttons the most. And so when I want to get to that, by the way, I want to get to that. Continue. I, 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 the power is in the pause. That's the way I sort of look at it. The power is in the pause. So if something bothers me, I can react to it. And probably do something that's going to, that's going to, you know, uh, that I'm not going to be proud of, or I can put on my, Hey, Mike, you're a positive dude hat, pause, take a breath, understand that what's happening is a out of my control and B not something I should really be upset about. And then I can respond to it. If I have to say, Hey guys, take it easy. I could say, Hey guys, take it easy, but I don't have to say, get the fuck, you know, like, I don't have to do that, um, which a lot of people are inclined to do, right? Like when people walk through life reacting to things and don't have the patience to pause and respond to things, they bite themselves in the ass. You know? They bite themselves in the ass. That's exactly right. I, you know, I've learned in my older age, silence is golden. And I'm going through a lot of transitions in my life now. And a lot of people are pushing my buttons because I'm more irritable. I'm irritated a lot. I, you know, and I've learned silence is golden. So I just don't say anything. I pause now. And I learned, I don't answer people if they say things that irritate me because it's only going to start, it's only going to make me look bad. And part of my whole podcast is putting your best foot forward in life. Everyone's got to put their best foot forward. And I always say, I don't always succeed, but I certainly try to put my best foot forward. I want to go back a little bit because I don't know if you know this, but your sister is a teacher, was my kid's teacher in school. And uh, it's a a yeshiva. It's a private Jewish school that my kids uh, go to. And your sister was such a great teacher. We loved her very much. And Speaking to you and looking at your Instagram and knowing your sister almost makes me feel like you guys were brought up from two different families or like somebody was adopted. Do you get that? Yeah, I understand that, you know, totally. My sister and I are are very, very different. Um, I, so our, the household that we grew up in was not an easy household. Um, my dad was a very sick guy, both mentally and physically. He was a very sick dude, and um, he and I really did not get along. His whole life, or my whole life, um, I did not get along with my father. 
and he died very young. He died at the early age of 57 years old. Wow. I'm sorry to hear. Yeah. Thank you. We had, we had a rough go, my dad and I. And so it got pretty ugly. Um, and you know, my dad was pretty tough on my sister too, but I really took the brunt of my dad's, uh, anger issues. And so I took, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did your dad have uh, more emotional and mental issues? Is that what it was? Well, he, so it was a culmination. So my father was, was born a juvenile diabetic and his father was a big, tough military guy. So my dad was brought up by this big, tough military guy who was very aggressive and really pushed hard. And my dad was, was, was born with a disease that there was not much research on in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s. So my father really was not able to do the stuff that he A, wanted to do and that B, his father wanted him to do. So he felt, he felt slighted his whole life. And I think that affected him mentally. Uh, he always had a chip on his shoulder. He always had to be a tough guy. And um, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but, you know, I, I think because I was born, I was born healthy. I was born a natural athlete. Um, I always got along with people. You know, I'm a Libra. My birthday's actually tomorrow. So, like, I have this ability to connect with human beings um, and live this sort of weird balanced lifestyle um, where I don't get caught in the minutia of, um, of stubbornness, you know, I just kind of like, I'm like, okay, you know, a lot of the time I'm like, okay, like I'm cool with taking a backseat, um, in, in some, in some circumstance when it comes to conflict, you know, like, I don't feel like I need to like, you know, prove myself in conflict. And so when my father and I started really, when I got to a certain age, my father, you know, really took a lot of his anger and aggression out on me, both physically and, and, and emotionally. He was, he was definitely bipolar and he never got diagnosed, um, but he was definitely bi- bipolar towards the end of his life. I would say probably now that I've done a lot of work on myself and I've, I've, I've done a lot of work in the mental, mental health arena because of my sobriety and because of dealing with and working with other alcoholics that struggle with mental health like myself, um, I would say he was probably borderline paranoid schizophrenic towards the end. Um, he was very, it was, it got really bad. So I had to make a decision in my early teens. When I was 15 years old, I decided um, that I was gonna leave my house. And, uh, you know, and, and I was also, by the way, like a terrible child. I mean, I was a tough kid to, to manage, you know, I was a, a, a drug addict and, and, and party animal by the time I was like 13, 14 years old. Wow. And okay, there was so, no stopping. Okay. So this is what I wanted to ask you at what age. And you just said about 13 years old is when, first of all, happy birthday. It's tomorrow. It's great. Well, Thank we're going to send you a nice happy birthday uh, message, but at 13 years old is when you started the drugs. Was it yeah, drugs I or alcohol? Was, I, what came first, drugs or alcohol? Drugs, drugs. Okay. And I grew up in New York City. And, you know, I, at 14 years old, I was, you know, going to the limelight and, you know, Disco 2000 on Wednesday nights and the Palladium and the tunnel. And me and all my, you know, friends would like give Kenny Kenny a kiss on the cheek. And she, you know, she'd let, you know, like let us into the club. You know, we were crazy. It was crazy. I was in New York City in the early 90s, and it was like a different place. You and know? you were able and to so, get into the clubs at 13, or you're talking about later? 
No, I mean, I was in the clubs. I was probably in the clubs at 14. I was in the clubs wow. at 14. I was now, working in nightclubs at 15. And you came from a traditional household. Am I, am I wrong with that? Your household was pretty much traditional, a Jewish traditional household. No, it was my not. household was, 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 you know, very, um, non-traditional. <laughs> okay. We really, we, you know, my sister gravitated towards, um, Judaism a little bit later on in life. We were both, I was bar mitzvah, she was bat mitzvah, but you know, there was no real, like we weren't a religious family by any stretch. Were you and, high uh, on your bar mitzvah? <laughs> I was not high on my bar mitzvah. Okay, I, just I wish, I probably wish I would have been. Um, but, uh, you know, we, um, yeah, no, it was a very, very untraditional uh, upbringing. And, you know, my, look, the, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm sure my father loved me. And I know for sure my mother loved me. Um, my mom and I still have a great, we have a great relationship. But ultimately, some people don't have the bandwidth mentally to be a great parent or quote unquote, a great parent. And, you know, parenting is really hard. And, and most of the time you're not given a playbook, right? Like you do what you saw as a child and it sort of is, is embedded in you. And so the beauty of having that, that trauma for me as a young kid was that I have now broke the chain. I literally have broken the chain and I am like incredibly loving to my children. My kids are my life, you know, I, everything I do and I work my ass, off. And I, you know, there's definitely times where I say, okay, man, like you got to just put the, put the computer down, put the phone down, get home. You got to spend more time with the family because I do work. I hustle hard, but everything I do in my world is for my wife. Okay. My so I just want to go back a little bit for parents, you know, cause we have seven-year-old twins. You have a five and a six-year-old. Is it five and six? You said four, four and six. six, four and six. Um, is there any way it could have been avoided for you to turn to drugs? I mean, I know that your, your dad went undiagnosed, which meant he was also untreated. So I'm sure that was a very difficult time for, I mean, that's catastrophic. I think for any kid to have to deal with a parent who's supposed to be taking care of you and actually maybe doing the opposite of taking care of you. Is there any advice or is there anything you can maybe enlighten us? as to what was going on in your head at 13 when you started with drugs? Was it, I want to get back you know, at my parents? Was it, I want to forget about what happened at home? I think I, I honestly believe that I was predisposed to addiction. I believe that I was sort of born with a gene that, um, you know, I think I was born with, a, with an extreme gene. That's how I kind of like think about it in my head because Anything that I like, anything that I like, I do, I am pedal to the middle, anything. I remember from as early, you know, early, early, early memories, I was, a, I was addicted to orange juice and apple juice. I used to wake up in the middle of the night, go into the kitchen and suck the orange juice or apple juice out of the container as fast and as hard as I could. Um, you know, and my mother used to say, okay, I can't buy, you know, I was getting cavities. I mean, it was terrible. Right. I, and strangely, I wasn't a sweet tooth kid. I never really enjoyed, um, candy or sweets. I was much more of a, of a, I love, I loved vegetables as a kid, which is strange, but, um, you know, I, I do believe I was predisposed. I think the fuel to the fire 
was the trauma. You know, when I was earlier, you know, it, it was it was tough at home, like I said, and I was always looking to get out of the house. I always from from, you know, even in my before I turned uh, 12, 13 years old, I always wanted to sleep over my friends houses. And unfortunately, that led me to being sexually molested as a kid as well. And so one of my coaches, by whom um, I'm sorry, do you mind if I ask by whom? Who is yeah, yeah. So he, so I, so I, I went to an after school program, and the after school program was a combination of the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, and 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 sports. And so I, I dove right into that because I would like any time I could spend out of the house, I, I took advantage of. And the coach was the same guy as the Cub Scout and Boy Scout leader, and so uh, he was. And by the way. This is a very interesting thing to talk about. You don't get the love as a child, um, specifically a boy. When you don't get the love from a man, your father, at that young of an age, it's something that we're looking for, right? We want someone to to, to, to pat us on the back and say, good job. And if, if that's not available at home, that's when things can get pretty ugly. So when you when you when you say, is there something that um is there uh if you if you say is there is there something that one can do to prevent um stepping into the world of drugs and alcohol or or being you know uh, preventing one's child from looking for um outs looking for crutches to help manage specific emotions or feelings as they come up showering with love in my opinion is the the absolute solution for that because I did not get that and my coach and the pedophile that 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 did that to me um they predicate on kids that are looking for that kind of love and so I was looking for that kind of love from a man um at that young age and he gave it to me you know he I I he 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 gave me um the the attaboys and I I really did like I looked at him as like my dad, you know, and I didn't know that what he was doing to me was actually wrong. You didn't know. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I just thought, you know, you know, it was, and it was, you know, it wasn't like terrible abuse, you know, where I was getting raped and things like that, but it was like, he would take me and like three other kids and put us in the shower and then, you know, wash us down and do things like that. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty ugly, right? Like it was like, when I, when I, when it came to, when I, when I got sober, I really said, oh my God, you know, like, and, and, and probably later in my teens, I was like, wow, that guy really did molest me. Um, and, and a number of other kids. And so, you know, I would just say that there was a lot of trauma in my childhood, but I wouldn't change it for a second. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't well, look at you today. Of course, you couldn't. Of course, you couldn't change it because look at you today. If people would just follow you on Instagram and see what you're doing, I mean, not only are you an entrepreneur, but you have such a good attitude and you're so positive. But I, I don't want to keep praising you. Wait, I, I don't. I want. I want to finish this conversation. So, were you at 13 while you were being molested? Were you doing drugs yet, or did the drugs come after the abuse? Well, the, the so the sexual abuse was when I was very young. Sexual abuse was from like second grade to fourth grade. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like when I was like eight, nine. So it came before. So really, drugs, I I know you said there was a predisposition, but really, I mean, there were, it was a perfect storm between your dad, between being abused. I mean, even if you 
didn't have the predisposition. It seemed like it was the perfect storm for you to escape with drugs. Exactly. Yeah. Getting so, back so, to the predis. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Continue. Go. No. So I, I you know, I was just going to say that that I would, you know, for any parent listening. I would love to say that there's a there's a solution that everyone should just stick to and a formula that everyone should just stick to. There's not, right? I know a lot of people that are sober for a long time, but that were junkies or heroin addicts when they got before they got sober. Like that were brought up in wonderful, loving, you know, wealthy families where where there was not much um, to, to 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 talk poorly about. And so, you know, that's why I say I do believe that I was born with somewhat of a predisposition to to addiction. Um, so then I want to ask you, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to ask you, because this really comes to my mind all the time, especially since we have kids. Do you get concerned about your children if they have any predisposition? I mean, they may automatically have a predisposition if you have one. How do you address it? Does that drive you crazy? Do you worry about it? You know, it really doesn't. And, and I'll tell you why. I, because if there is a predisposition, it, it's, it's going to run its course, right? The one thing that I, you know, spoke to my wife about, and, you, you, you know, I will not um, challenge my kids if they're out there experimenting. As a matter of fact, what I would like to probably do, and, and who knows, right? Like, I mean, I'll have to get there, I'm not there yet. But once my kids, and I believe that they will, start experimenting with drinking and, and, and drugs, I'm gonna ask them to do it here at our house and go to the barn. Like, you know, we moved out of the city, we now live upstate, like go hang out with your friends in the barn, go do what you're gonna do. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you on it. And I'm not gonna scream and yell at you. And I'm not gonna tell you, you got it, you can't do that. I'm gonna tell you, do what you have to do, but please do me a favor, allow me Speak to me about it, talk to me about it, because you probably don't know, but I know more about this subject than you'll ever know, unless I allow you to get to the place that I got to, which I plan on, what I, which I don't plan on doing. So I think that there was a, in my house, it was like, once they found out that I was drinking and doing drugs and mainly doing drugs at that young age, uh, it was all hell broke loose. I was, I was, I was called a, a, a waste. I, you know, my father, you know, said I was a piece of shit, useless, and I'm never going to amount to anything. And I'm, you know, how can I do that? Yeah. And and really, it just, it, it, you know, my my middle finger just kept growing. You know, and um, and so I, I really did. I think at a certain point, want to just just say fuck you constantly. Sorry for the language. Um, but that that's really sort of where I how I think it escalated so fast. But one other thing that I will say is that I'm grateful for my years in addiction because I was not happy. I was not happy as a child. I, I really, you know, especially as I got into my adolescence, I was really, I, I was, I was like suicidal at times. And so the alcohol and the drugs really did save my life. And for a period of time, for probably half of my using career, I really enjoyed it. Like I had a blast. I had a great time, you know? Um, but that's a very poignant thing. That's very poignant what you just said. And I can relate to that in a way. Not that I've ever done drugs. I've never done any drugs. But when my mom was sick, I was I, I was on a lot of prescription drugs. I was taking a lot of stuff because she had Alzheimer's. It was a long, debilitating, slow disease. And I was very close to my mom. So I was on all these drugs that was prescription. But 
the great thing was I was able to come off of it. So although I say I'm so much like you, because I am ritualistic, if I have a chocolate covered graham cracker by Asher's 10 years ago, I discovered it to this day, they're in my house every day. And if they're, the store runs out of it, I want to burn it down. I eat the same thing all the time, every day. Brad will know if he moves, if he goes away to another country, he will know what I'm doing at every point of the day. He'll know when I'm having my green tea. He'll know when I'm having my protein bar, my, my lunch, my snack. He knows my ritual. And I hate that. I hate that he does. So getting back to my point is that I understand what you're saying, that it got you through a very difficult time. Doing the drugs and the alcohol did, although it's a terrible addiction, because you could have, you could still be having this addiction. You were lucky enough to drop the addiction. And I think it's been 17 years you've been sober, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But it helped you get through a very difficult time. There is the it, silver it, lining. It, it was a, it was, it was for me at the, at the moment, at the, at the period of time in my life where I really sort of took hold of it. It, it really did help save me. And, and, and so I don't say that so that people, you know, listening can be like, oh my God, I'm going through hell right now. I'm going to go use drugs. I do. I just say that because it is my story, right? It's my story and I don't regret it. Um, and I also want to say to anybody listening, having a, 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 an addiction to a substance is a terrible place to exist because you become dependent on something that is outside of yourself. What I will say to anybody who's listening who's struggling, there is a fucking solution. And I'm telling you that the other side of that fear is absolute freedom. I am, I was locked in a cage of my own making for years and I hated it. I really did hate it. I, I did not like who I was. I did not like who I became when I was sober and on and high. And it was just a miserable existence. And I and I really did hate myself. So Michael, so, what was the turning point? And I think that's what you were gonna get to. What was the turning point? I had a moment of grace. And How old? I, 23. Okay. I had a moment of grace and I had slept through work and my job meant everything to me at that time. And my boss who loved me like a son pretty much, was like, Mikey, I can't watch you kill yourself. You're killing yourself. I can't do it. It's not, I can't, I can't do it. You're fired. And that, that destroyed me. Um, and so I was able to actually talk him into giving me my job back, but he made me an ultimatum. And he said, look, man, you got to get sober. If you want to keep your job here, you got to get sober. And then I was introduced very quickly because at that point I knew that I wanted to change. And there, it was, it was a Monday, uh, Excuse me, it was a Tuesday morning, August 2nd of 2004. And I took action. For whatever reason, I put the right foot in front of the left. I called my friend Karen Bernstein, who was dating a guy who I knew was sober. She introduced me to him. He came right away. He was a dude that I thought was super cool and I looked up to. And he changed my life or helped me. He walked me to the water and I began to drink. And he really laid it out for me. He looked at me as a, as a, as a young guy that had a lot of potential. And he said, here's, here's how things are going to go. You're going to wake up early in the morning and you're going to hit your knees and you're going to ask God for help. And you don't have to be religious. You don't have to pray to any specific God, but you don't pray to anything right now. And you think you can do it all alone. And I'm here to tell you, you fucking can't. So you got to get humble 
and you got to ask for help. And the best way to ask for help and show signs of humility is to get down on your knees and ask first thing in the morning. And so that's what I do. And that's what I've done every single day for the last 17 plus years. And so he said, you're going to pray in the morning and then you're going to have a bowl of oatmeal and you're going to eat a bowl of oatmeal because you probably haven't eaten during the day in years. And we're going to give you something that's healthy, delicious, substantial, and nutrition. And I said, okay, I'm going to eat a bowl of oatmeal. And then he said, and then you're going to go to an AA meeting. 10 o'clock in the morning, you're going to go to this AA meeting in the East Village. I said, okay, I'm going to go to the AA meeting. And then after the meeting, you're going to meet me at this place. And um, I said, okay, where's the place? And he said, it's a Muay Thai kickboxing gym on Canal Street in Chinatown. And just meet me here and I'm going to tell you the rest of the plan there. And so the next so day- So wait, can you I tell will, me who is this guy again? This was Karen. Tell me who this guy is. Karen was. Bernstein's boyfriend and, and his name is Marcus. Marcus. So it wasn't Marcus Schenkenberg by any chance. No, I doubt it. No. Uh, so, um, okay. So Marcus really did a lot of investing in you in a lot of time. He did. And he's still a, he's still a, a dear friend and a mentor of mine. Um, great. And a very successful so go back to the, guy. Great. So go back to the Mai Tai. So now you started. Okay. So, so he basically said, and then you're going to meet me at this Muay Thai kickboxing academy. And I said, okay, great. Anything, you know, and this dude was a cool guy, you know, like he was not, he was like, I was like, oh, I could see my, I could, I definitely want what he has and I can see living the life that he's living. And I think that's very important in the early days of sobriety to link up with somebody who has what you want and someone that you can relate to. Because the thing is that I knew about Marcus was that he is this awesome sober guy right now. But, you know, whatever it was, eight years before that, he was sitting in my seat, you know. And so um, so I met him at the Muay Thai kickboxing gym and he said, all right, so we're going to not only introduce sobriety in a sober community to your life, but we're going to really um, give you some some daily sort of daily a daily routine that is going to introduce fitness and nutrition. And here you're going to start um, with kickboxing because you're young and it's going to get you into shape. And it's also going to teach you about humility, commitment, dedication, integrity, um, getting back up and build your confidence in your, your esteem. And you're going to get your fucking ass kicked. And I was like, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass. And so he, he, he and I started going and he started teaching me. And then I, I, I became obsessed. I became absolutely obsessed with Muay Thai. Um, and then he said, right after you get out of the gym, you're going to have grilled chicken and broccoli, and then you're going to go take a nap, and then you're going to go to work, and for dinner, you're going to have some kind of protein and vegetables. And that was my introduction. And honestly, I will say that I'm not, I'm not sober without fitness and nutrition in my life. It's the trifecta, mental, physical, and spiritual for me. And, you know, you can just stop drinking and doing drugs, but that's not going to fix you. There's much more work to be done. And I was able to really discover a lot about what life has to offer through the world of fitness and nutrition and the ability to win every single day. I needed those wins. And those were wins that I can control. You know, we can't control 98. 8% of what happens in life, right? Life is going to happen. The sun's going to come up. The sun's going to go down. The wind's going to blow. Somebody's going to fucking splash water on your leg and rain. You know, you're going to get yelled at by a cab driver. Uh, you know, your wife is going to say something that you don't like. You know, your kid's going to puke on your chest. Like 
there's going to be things all day long that you simply cannot control. But the the things that we can control are are easy wins. And when we can stack easy wins on top of each other, the sky's the limit. And so that's what I began doing. So the trifecta of not just stopping, and here you are at the young age of 23, which it worked to your advantage, because I don't know if the same thing would have worked at 33, although you know it absolutely could for people listening. It can happen it at does. any age you can stop. But it was the trifecta of not just stopping, it was the eating right and exercising and putting you in a situation where you needed to have discipline and where you needed to get, you know, I guess what, hurt and get back up, get hurt, get back up. It was, it was really, for me, it was the win. It was the win of making it to the gym. It was the win of eating the healthy thing. It was the win of asking God for help. It was the win of being um, like waking up without a hangover. And, and so my morning routine now is insanely structured. Tell me. And so my morning routine, uh, I wake up at around five. You know, I'm writing this morning. shit down now because I want to know in case I'm going to follow. Go. I, I wake up at around five o'clock in the morning, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little later, never past 515. And I don't use an alarm. My body is just attuned to my, you know, my, uh, my. What rhythm. time do you go to sleep? At 10 o'clock. Okay. Okay. So I wake up at 5 a.m. The first thing I do as soon as I know that I'm awake is I take my eye mask off. I look up at the ceiling and I smile from ear to ear. Shit eating grin, pearly teeth out, smile from ear to ear. But let's say you don't feel like it. I force it. And I'll tell you why. And and, and a lot of days I, I struggle with it. You know, but I'll tell you why I do it, because after a certain amount of time, after around 10 seconds, you can't help but feel the optimism and the positivity sort of wash over your body with a big smile on your face, even if you're faking it. And I don't love the fake it till you make it thing. But in this case, for me in the morning routine, I don't like to wake up with anxiety and agita and stress. I really do like to battle it and attack it right away. And this, so this is my first way of saying, I can control this. I can control this. And so I smile from ear to ear. I think of gratitude, my kids and my wife. Typically the, the same frame comes up in my head where I'm sitting at the breakfast table and I see my two kids and I see my wife smiling. It makes me really happy. Sometimes I even get an out loud laugh because it's so ridiculous because I'm lying in bed doing this. Um, but it, and it, it actually it makes you laugh. It, it actually makes me laugh because I feel like I'm, you know, if anybody were to see this, it'd, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be strange. Um, and so I do, I smile and then I roll right out of bed and I hit my knees and um, literally like off the bed onto my knees and I pray and I have the same exact prayer that I've been saying for years and years. The brunt of my prayer is praying for good graces for everyone in my family, my friends, my enemies. Um, and so I really just put positivity out into the universe first thing. Then I do 50 push-ups. Um, and after I do my 50 push-ups, I walk into the bathroom. My wife is still asleep. My kids are still asleep. I walk into the bathroom and I take a piss. Right after I take a piss, I step on the scale because I'm a competitive athlete. So I need to know where I'm at. Um, then I put on my contacts, I brush my teeth and I splash super duper cold water on my face. I dry my face and I put on face moisturizer. 
Uh, and then I walk out of the bathroom and, um, and I, I go into the kitchen. I light a few candles. It's always, it's pretty much still dark out unless it's the dead of summer where it's light early. So I light a few candles, I put on my headset and either I'll listen to a guided meditation or I'll just listen to some soothing music. And, um, actually that's not true. Before I do that, I drink a 16 ounce glass of water with the juice of a whole lemon and pink Himalayan salt. Then I, then I meditate for 10 minutes. Um, and after I meditate, I make a, a pot of coffee. Um, I will grab my coffee. I'll sit down at the table and I write in my journal. This is my journal. So I have this awesome journal that I love to write in every day. And sometimes it's just like, it, it prompts me for questions. And it's like a lot of like free flow writing, but I write in my journal for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I read 10 pages out of a book. 10 and pages at that of what? Point, 10 pages of, of any book any that book. I'm reading. So I, I, I've, I've committed to reading 10 pages a day. Um, and, um, and, and that's, that, that has been enormously awesome being able, you know, committing to reading 10 pages of, of a book every day. Um, and so then after I'm done reading, sometimes my wife and kids will be up at that point. Sometimes they're not. Um, if they're not up, I will have um, a pre-workout and I'll go right into my garage gym and I'll, I'll start working out. If they are up, I hang out with them for about a half an hour and then I go into the gym. Um, when I get out of there, the gym, I always have the same thing for breakfast for years and years. I've just built a business around it. It's called- That's right, we're gonna get to that. I wanna get to that, but but it's the oatmeal. I have that, yep, it's the oatmeal. And then then I'm sitting down, I take a shower and then I'm sitting down at my desk around 9.30 to get my day going. Okay, so I have a few questions. First of all, what is the trick to doing 50 pushups if you know you're gonna be working out in an hour and a half anyway? Immediate blood flow. Okay. Does it help to burn calories? Yeah. What's the trick to the body? Is there a trick or does it just make you feel good? You know, I think that, so when I was doing, when I was doing Muay Thai intensely, and you know, my wife is a a good person to talk to about this. I had a a mean calisthenics program that I would do first thing in the morning where I was doing 1500 pushups every morning and like 3000 crunches. But that was your workout. And then I would go to the Muay Thai gym, but I wasn't lifting any weights there. I wasn't lifting any weights there. I was just doing Muay Thai. How did but, you have time but, to even have kids with all that? I mean, that's well, so we, time you know, we, That's I a full-time my, job. I met, my, I met my wife a long time ago. <laughs> we met, I was 24, she was 22. And we Why? spent the first 10 years of our relationship without kids. <laughs> so we met, as, we met as babies and we traveled and we, we lived, we had, we had, you know, we went out for dinner all the time and, you know, and then when we, when we were in our early thirties, we decided that, you know, it was time to, to start popping some babies out. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't, um, you know, this is what, this is back, this is back in, in, uh, when I first got sober, 2004 to 2010 really is when I was, when I was doing more time intensely. Yeah. It but, was from um, like 20, 23 to 33. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. And then I got into different sports. I hate to be selfish, but back to me for a second. Should I be doing the 50 pushups the minute I wake up? I work out anyway. I'll do some running. I do pull-ups, dips, and push-ups. Those are my main 
you know, yeah, go-tos. Why not? You know, you, you actually, I, I don't know the science behind it, but there is some evidence that shows that when you do exercise first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, yeah. um, even if it's a little bit of exercise, your body, your, it kickstarts your metabolism. And um, I believe it kickstarts your metabolism and you burn more calories. Okay. So I want to get to the intermittent fasting for people that have heard about it, that tried it. I know you've done the intermittent fasting or do you still Mm -hmm. do it? Okay. I do it. I used to do it seven days a week. And Uh now I really only do intermittent fasting when I'm not working out because I work out early in the morning fasted always. So I never eat breakfast before I work out. I never eat. So I typically, I typically don't eat until around nine or nine 30 in the morning. Okay. So you think that because I had Tanya Zuckerbrot, I don't know if you know who she is. She Mm -hmm. also recommended to not eat before a workout, which I started to do for a couple of months. And then, you know, I would start working out a little bit later, 11 to 12 o'clock. So I would have some fruit, but you're saying it's better to not eat anything before a workout. It all depends on what you're doing. You know? Um, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. But I'm sorry, go. Okay, I don't even know what I'm doing now. I don't know what um, I'm doing. I'm winging it all. At my age, all, I'm winging everything with the kids, yeah, with Brad. I'm winging it. By the it. way, we're all winging it. That's the beauty of life. We're all winging it. And we put this pressure on ourselves that we're supposed to know. We're all fucking winging it. Everybody has their own journey and their own path. Everybody learns at a different speed, you know? And this is so why I love I, you. This is why when I look at your Instagram, I love you. You make me feel less shitty about myself. Yeah, well, we we beat our we are our worst enemy. The only one that stands in the way of us and our goals is us. The only hurdle that we have to jump through at jump over every single day is the hurdle that we build ourselves, you know. And so when we can do things and and that's why this that morning routine for me is so I've strung all these wins together. By the time it's nine o'clock in the morning, I am on fire. I have won like 15 times. I'm like, nothing can penetrate me because I've, I've taken so much care of myself. And so my number one priority is me. That's the truth. I don't, that doesn't mean I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't neglect your kids. kids. I know you don't. For me, it is about i am an absolute better human being a better father a better husband a better son brother co-worker employer all of it i'm better when i'm well and so i've taken self-care to an extreme level where i don't sacrifice time with them i wake up two hours earlier than they do well so that's that exactly I what i was going to say that was my I, point I, yeah and so that is how serious I take it. You know, people are like, oh my God, you wake up at five o'clock in the morning every day. And I'm like, I love waking up at five. I know. The, the problem I is, that I know, Michael, if I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and my kids heard me, those two little shits would be down following me everywhere. I try to play dead till at least seven. I, even if I'm up, because if they know, I try to sneak out of the bed. They're in our bed every night. Do your boys get into your bed? No. Uh, I don't know how you managed to maintain that, but we gave up. Our kids are in our bed every single night and they get up early in the morning. If I try to sneak out 
and I won't even go to the bathroom in my room. I try to go downstairs. They hear me. They run down those steps. And I go, no, no, no. There's nothing happening down here. Go back upstairs. Go to Papa. I, I don't get a free second. They won't allow that. They won't allow that from yeah, me. Yeah, we, so we, we, we battled, you know, for two and a half years, my older son, Finn, came into our room every night. And we basically said to him, listen, dude, you're not sleeping in bed with us. You're just not going to sleep in bed with us. So if you come in here, there's a little mattress on the floor for you and you can sleep on the floor. We're not, you're, you're not going to sleep in bed with us because neither of us were able to get a good night's sleep because he was a maniac in bed. Yes. And so for two and a half years, he slept on the floor. Wow. Yeah, we dropped the ball on that whole thing. I was miserable for about six months. I tried to go to a sleep doctor. You know, for me, I wanted to go. I always want to go to a professional for everything. Like my daughter had curly hair. I want to go to a professional for curly hair. They laughed at me. They go, just go to a beauty parlor. They're all trained in everything. I'm like, no, I need to go to a special sleep doctor. Anyway, after the six months, I got used to not sleeping. I took it out on everyone around me. I don't know how Brad didn't smother me in my sleep, but he didn't. I managed. So I got used to not sleeping. So now in the middle of the night, they come into our bed. They move around. We drop the ball. I try to cherish it because I know that one day they're going to wake up and they're not even going to want to look at me. And that's going to break my heart. Uh -huh. So is there? So Finn, what's your other son's name? Dakota. Dakota, what cool names. Does your wife go crazy from your regimen and from your uh, regimented uh, you know, routine? Does that drive her nuts? You know, Donna knew what she was getting into with me because when I met right. her, I was eight months sober. I was in some of the best shape of my life. I was insanely dedicated to fitness. I made it very clear to her from early on that like, this is something I'm insanely passionate about. And it saves my life every day. And that's one thing that I also didn't mention is that the fitness really does save my life on a daily basis. And the nutrition supports the fitness. And so I get an enormous amount of freedom from it. Um, and that's probably because I'm an addict. You know, I don't, I don't think that everybody needs to be as extreme as I do. But, but, but my wife is my rock. I mean, I get emotional every time I think about it. My wife is my, like, I, she is just the most wonderful mother and wife, you know, and I'm insanely lucky and blessed to have her. And she's stuck by my side. I'm, I'm a crazy person. I'm an, I'm an animal. I, I don't run, mar I don't run, you know, 5Ks. I'm running marathons. I don't open a restaurant. I open up 15. I don't, you know, lift weights. I compete in bodybuilding competitions and don't stop until I become a pro. I don't, you know, kickbox in the gym. I like compete in kickboxing competition. I'm a, I'm a crazy guy. You know? I was going to say, you know, you're very lazy. You sound lazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I, you know, I, and you're catching me in a pretty like mellow state right now because I'm calorie deprived, but you know, I, uh, I'm I'm a tough guy. I'm 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 not I'm sure I'm not an easy guy to 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 be with all the time because of how busy I am and how many things I put in my path. I for whatever reason I need to be challenged in every arena of my life. And and I I I thrive in in sort of controlled chaos. I I I I I I'm not the kind of guy that like loves going to, you know, a beach vacation and sitting on the beach all day. You know, I'm like working out in the morning and then I'm like, you know, going on. I'm like, 
you know, like I'm just, there's, I, I'm, I'm a go-getter. And I think Does, that at a certain point in my life, chances are um, I'm going to feel like I can put the, put the, you know, put the pedal down. So I, I want to talk about creatures of habit for a second, <clears throat> because I'm very tempted. I have it right here. I know Brad has it. Have you had it yet, Brad? Oh, and you love it. Yeah. It's called um, the protagonist. It has 30 grams of protein. I've never had oatmeal, never liked it. This is it for anyone that um, is listening to this. And I'm just concerned that it's going to just taste like oatmeal and not be sweet enough for me. Um, well, do you add wrong. anything to it? I'm wrong, right? You're, I'm sure. You're, yeah, you're, you're wrong. Um, so, you know, the cool thing about the product is, first of all, I'm a chef, right? Um, right. I'm, I'm, That's right. You're a chef. Yeah. So I, when I was, when I went out to, to create this product, I said, I need to make this thing taste really good. Um, and you know, protein's not an easy thing to make taste really, really good. And so I also wanted it to be incredibly convenient. Right. And so the, the way that I love making the protagonist is I actually do it overnight. So I do it I basically take a jar, I pour the protagonist, pouch of the protagonist into the jar. I add three quarters of a cup of almond milk. I mix it up really well. I give it a little shake and then I put it in the fridge. And in the morning I take it out and it's like eating dessert for breakfast. However, it happens to be the best thing you can put into your body. It's got 30 grams of plant-based protein, 7,000 IUs of vitamin D3, 300 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids, a probiotic, digestive enzymes, pink Himalayan salt, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, and flax seeds. It's got a little bit of stevia, a little bit of organic maple sugar. It's fucking amazing. I'm trying so it. You can do it. The, please try you know, Brad's been Brad's it. been eating it. I'm going to make him make it for me. But now here's the thing. I just looked at the calories because, you know, I'm that way. I'm that person. 350 calories in the morning. Well, it's not it's really in the not morning. Yeah, not nearly is not 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 a lot at all for a full meal. This isn't a snack. This is right. a meal. How many calories are you eating a day? I have no idea. I would assume probably twenty two hundred calories a day. Okay, so so imagine that. So three hundred and fifty calories is a little more than ten percent of what. So you can you you could eat seven of those things and you'd be all right. So okay. the beauty of it is it's actually low calorie. Like you're if you're thinking of a protein bar, a protein bar is something like two hundred and twenty calories, right? When you take the protagonist and you eat it, this thing, this bowl of oats and protein and all the other good stuff in it is going to keep you full for like three to four hours. So you're going to eat it and you're going to be like, wow, I'm full. This That was A, delicious and B, insanely satiating. The beauty of oats is that oats are a complex carbohydrate that slowly release into your bloodstream. So when you eat simple carbohydrates, they spike your blood sugar and then drop it. And so you crash from it. And when you're crashing from carbohydrates, your body says, I want more, I need more, give me more, 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 more. The beauty of oats, oatmeal, is that it doesn't spike your insulin levels. So it's a slow bleed into your bloodstream. So it's actually making you feel full and you're not gonna crash and, and, and your body's not gonna say, give me more of that sugar, give me more. And so I, it's really a, it's a perfect way to start your day. I actually don't know of, of another, of a better way. If the, if the overnight isn't, you know, your thing and you just don't want to do overnight, you can easily just add hot water to it. So I'll add hot water. I'll put up, you know, I'll, I'll stir it up real well. I'll cover it. 
I'll let it sit for two minutes and then I'll put like some cacao nibs in it. Maybe I'll put like a little shaved almond in it. Um, and I mix it up and it's just like, I have some blueberries. Um, and, and it's delicious. You can also make it, but you can make a smoothie out of it. And it makes this delicious, thick, insanely healthy, but delicious smoothie poured into a blender, add some ice, add a little almond milk or toasted coconut milk, blitz it up. You can add a half a banana if you want to make it a little bit thicker. Um, and it's just a wonderful smoothie. Okay. So like, there's so many ways to make, um, and you know, to use it's it. not just oatmeal. It's not just oatmeal, right? Like it's, it's so much more than just oatmeal. It's got, it's got more, it's got a creamier consistency because of the protein. Um, and it, uh, depending on how much liquid you add, you can really calibrate whether you want it a little looser, a little firmer. Um, but you know, it's just, it's what I've been eating every single day and you see what I look like. I mean, I eat it every single day and I have been for years and years. It's the way I feed my body, mind, and soul in the, in, as my first meal of the day. Uh, when I was intermittent fasting, I would break my fast with it every single day. Um, I also sometimes use it as a post-workout meal. Um, you know, and, and pretty much I use it as a post-workout meal every day because I train fasted. But if I can't get to the gym for whatever reason in the morning and I have to go to the gym later on in the day, the most important crucial time for muscle building and muscle development is right after a workout. You deplete all the glycogen in your muscles when you work out. And the, the thing that you want to do right after a workout is to replenish that glycogen and feed your muscles the protein so pro protein synthesis can take place. I'm doing everything wrong. It's amazing I look the way I look. I, I don't look too bad, but it's amazing because I'm doing everything wrong. I eat literally just fruit and salad for lunch, but I because because I, I I like to eat my cake. I like to eat my cookies. You know, at night I'll I'll have you know bigger dinners, salmon, or I'll have bread or whatever it is. But I feel like I like to save my calories for the junk. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to try the oatmeal, the way you said it, because it sounds like eating a dessert for breakfast. But what I'm going to do back to me, I'm sorry, everything goes back to me is I'm going to do my 50 pushups in the morning, Brad. So I'm going to start the minute I wake up, do my 50 pushups, and I'm going to have the oatmeal after the workout, after my workout. I would just, I would just say that if you did the protagonist overnight with almond milk or coconut milk or toasted, you know, I love the toasted coconut almond milk from Califia. That's like my favorite. And so I mix three quarters of a cup in there, mix it really, really well. Let it sit in the fridge overnight. In the morning, I take it out and it, it is so delicious. It's, 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 it's like, I crave it, you know, I crave it. Okay. So now I want to talk for a few minutes about your podcast because you have a great podcast, Born or Made. When yeah. did that, when, when did you start Born or Made? So interestingly enough, I actually just for the first time in two years pushed pause on the podcast for Q4 okay. 2021, just okay. so I can focus on uh, really my number one focus is creatures of habit. It's but so much work. It back. Yeah, it's so much it's work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I love doing it. I love doing it because I wasn't just doing a one podcast a week. I was doing a Monday mini pod, a Wednesday full episode pod, and a Friday mini. And so that, and that has been, it's just been truly fun for me. I really do love doing it, but I knew I looked at my workload. I, I, I looked at my, my new business as the CEO of this new company that has the potential to be a massive business. And I said, I need to cut something. And I said, I have to take a break on the podcast and I, and I probably will come back in Q1 of 22, 
with a new podcast that's going to be shorter format called Creatures of Habit, the Habit Lab. Um, but, you know, I, but the podcast has been incredible. Um, and there's some amazing guests that I've had over the last two years. Um, it's really just been a wonderful journey. And so anybody that's looking to check out a new podcast, if you haven't heard of the Born and Made podcast, go check it out because there's such great value. I want to ask you, were you born or made? I mean, I, I know the born. answer. You were. I was, was going to say the opposite. You were made. No, I was born. Explain 1, to me exactly percent. what you mean. Say that again. 1,000%. Explain to me then exactly what you mean when you say, were you born or made? So I can't tell you why at six years old, I wanted to set up a shop outside of my apartment building on 87th Street and 2nd Avenue and sell all my toys. I can't tell you why I wanted to walk every single dog in my neighborhood at nine and 10 years old. I can't tell you why I was the first kid out of everybody in my world who just wanted to work. I can't tell you why, you know, at 16 years old, I had a, you know, a business that I probably shouldn't talk about on this podcast that was insanely successful. Selling drugs? Um, yeah. Okay. At a young age. Um, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you why I, um, you know, was, was, had the courage at 28 to go and launch my own business without really much fear. Um, but I can tell you this, that drive is something that I've always had. My ability to use my emotional intelligence to get things that I want has been something that's been with me forever and ever. And the only person that it really never worked with was my father. I could not win him. But I, because of how tough that was for me, I think it really did, you know, it, it, it made me practice that, 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 that brain muscle so intensely that I just knew that I, I, I had to, I had to, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I never have been and have no interest in being, but you put me in a room anywhere with anyone. And I promise you not even intentionally, but by the end of the night, we're like best friends. And, and that's something that I have naturally. I can't tell you why. It's a gift. You know, I love, it's a gift. And I love connecting with human beings. Any room, anywhere with anyone. The streets of downtown Los Angeles and Skid Row, the White House with the President of the United States. Like, I have, a, I, I, am, I am really able to acclimate very quickly, see, listen, and act um, accordingly to my surroundings. And I think that is, I think that is probably my superpower. If I had to say there was a superpower that I have, it's the ability to very quickly assess a situation and read people and understand what they actually want, even though, even if they don't know they want it. And I think that's what's made me a successful entrepreneur. So I know that I was born with that ability. You that's know, amazing. So, yeah, your yeah. grandmother? No, my grandmother, this little Sicilian woman, um, my dad's mom was a, um, a clairvoyant and she's, I got her tattooed on my arm. She was the most influential person in my life. She, um, her name was grandma Chicky, wow. And, uh, 
she taught me about spirituality at a very young age. She was a Buddhist and she meditated for hours every day. And she was the kindest person. And she told me from a very early age that when I was born, she, she, she saw a twinkle in my eye, like she had never seen before. And that I was an old soul. And, um, and, you know, there was going to be a lot of goodness and also a lot of challenge in my life, but a lot of goodness. And so, you know, my, my, uh, I do believe that I have, I was born with something, you know. What age did you get your first tattoo? 15 or 16. Did your parents get uh, upset about it? They had no, I was out of the house. You're out of the house. They didn't know. Yeah. And then you kept I had, I had piercings. I, you know, I got my tongue pierced when I was 14. I had, you know, earrings when I was 13. You know, I was, I, they, they had, I was a rough kid to, to raise. <laughs> I was a rough kid I, to raise. I love that you could admit it. I love that you can say it. And uh, yeah, I, it, you know, and I, I apologize to my mom regularly, you know, you know, like I don't blame my parents for anything at all. Like, was there trauma? Do I probably have PTSD? Was there issues at the household? Absolutely. Is every household perfect? Hell no. Does every family have their shit? Absolutely. Was it a little bit more intense in my house? Yes, it was. Do I blame them for anything? No, I praise them because of the guy I've become. Amazing. On that note, we're going to leave Michael Cherno really and I'm not lying to you, you're an inspiration. You really are an inspiration to me. And I can't wait to try your oatmeal, Creatures of Habit. It's called The Protagonist and do my 50 push-ups. And I'm gonna continue to listen to you on Instagram, even though I rarely ever open it up. But to do my research, I actually opened up the Instagram to see what you're about. And it, you seem like a life coach. Like I said earlier, you seem very um, encouraging. So I need to listen to it because although I think we're very similar in a lot of ways, I'm not as optimistic as you are. I'm kind of a little bit grumpy and I get annoyed easily. So I'm going to be listening to you more. Well, can I just, just one thing just to say to that, because I think it's important. Please. It's something that, it's something that you're aware of. You're, you have, you have absolute self-awareness, which is such a big, like it's, it's a monumental piece of the puzzle, right? Self-awareness. You said, I'm not, I'm not that optimistic. I get grumpy and I can, people annoy the shit out of me. And so the, the, the fact that you are aware of it and you know it, all the work is done. All the, all the heavy lifting is done. You know how hard it is for people to take their ego and throw it out the window. People's egos always stand in their way of, of, of coming to a resolution in life. It's like, no, I'm not. No, that's your fault. That's your fault. No, no, no. It's never me. It's never me. And the fact that you're like, I'm, I'm you know, this is the truth. Now all you got to do is practice that fucking pause. That we I know. About. How do it. I do it, Michael? Because I would say my best quality, my best quality as a human being is the fact that I'm self-aware. It does me no good because I'm controlling. I like to control my family and I have no patience. And the other okay. things I said. So here's a, here's a little, here's a little tip that I'm going to, I'm going to offer. Please. Something that I think is, so when you're feeling that in that place, chances are you're, you're anxious and you've got some anxiety and you're, you want to control because you feel like things are out of your control. So you want to control. And so that in your mind, control is taking charge. And the truth of the matter is, is that that's never going to serve you because you can't control other people. 
they are going to do whatever the fuck they want to do. And maybe you can scare somebody into submission, but it's never going to benefit. It's never going to ultimately uh, uh, garner incredible results, right? Here's a little tip and trick that I use on a regular basis, on a regular basis. So I'll give you two. One of them is called box breathing. So if I'm sitting at my desk and shit's going awry and there's emails coming at me all left and right, I'm, I'm late for a podcast like I was with you today, I'm stressed out, all this shit's going down, right? What do I do? I stop. I find a comfortable, quiet place to sit for two minutes. And I do this thing called the box breathing. So I sit down at a chair, I put my arms on the armrest, I close my eyes, and I get relaxed for a second. I take a few deep breaths, and then I breathe in through my nose for four counts. I hold my breath at the top for four counts. I breathe out through my nose for four counts, and I hold my breath at the bottom for four counts. I'll do that 10 times. And it's not like spiritual, although there is an element of spirituality to it. I learned this because I was going, I, I was, I, about four years ago, I went through a real health scare. I had no idea what was wrong with me. No one can tell me what was wrong with me, but I was in a bad place, but physically and mentally. And no one could tell me what was up. I saw many doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. It was crazy. It was My emotional was or physical? It was both. It was both. And can so you tell us I what it was to, or? Oh, I, but we found out I have chronic Lyme's disease. Oh, I didn't know. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So, but no one could detect it. No one could tell me what it was because I knew I was feeling a certain way. And all the doctors were telling me, you're okay. I thought I was dying because of how I felt. That's all a very the, difficult the, thing to um, detect. Am I right? A lot of people go for hard. years and years and they call them hypochondriacs. Yes. It's very hard to detect. So my doctor said, you know what? I think you're dealing with some mental instability. I think you need to go see a psychiatrist. Went to a psychiatrist. He prescribed me meds. Come to find out, I got led to this doctor, this guy named Dr. Frank Littman. He's an integrative medicine doc in New York. And I went to see him and I told him what was going on with me. I told him the drugs that I was on. I, you know, like the mental, the mental health drugs that I was on. I told him, um, you know, all my blood work is coming back. Okay. But I feel absolutely miserable. I'm numb in my hands. I, I, I get panicky. I'm anxious. Um, you know, I, I, my stomach is destroyed all these things. And he said, you have Lyme disease. And I said, what do you mean? I've been tested for Lyme disease. He said, listen, do me a favor. I'm going to send you over to this, to this lab, go get a drug, go get this test. I'll tell you what, what's wrong with you. Send me to this lab. They took like 40 vials of blood. Two days later, he says, you have glaring Lyme's disease and you have two co-diseases with it, Barton, two strains of Bartonella. We got to get this fixed. This is, you've probably had this for years. What does that mean, Bartonella? Anyway, what does that mean? Bartonella is another tick-borne disease. So typically when you get Lyme's disease from a tick, it, they, there are some co-diseases. They call them co-diseases. Right that that come along with the line and so it's all throughout my whole body i was i had swollen lymph nodes on my head i mean there was all sorts of things happening that was just out of it was crazy and, and and all the doctors were telling me i was okay so i went to go see this functional medicine doc um this before i met frank and i went to go see her and i and i'd seen her a few times because she was helping me with a lot of stuff 
And she said, you know, I went in one day and she took my blood pressure and she said, holy shit, your blood pressure's through the roof. Are you, are you nervous? Are you stressed? I said, I've had the worst day. Like, I'm so, I'm just so over this. And I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. And she said, do me a favor. I want you to do this breathing exercise for me. And she taught me the box breath. And I did 10 rounds of it. And my blood pressure went from like scary high to way below like she was like, now my, my heart rate is typically low because I'm an athlete, right? So my, my heart rate's low. So she said, your heart rate went from like 165 over something all the way down to like six or 55 or whatever it was. She was just, and it was science. It was science. It was a scientific thing. And I said, she, I was, I was, my, my, my heart rate was all the way up. She had me do this breath. And then I, I, about five rounds in, I started to feel more relaxed. And by the 10th round, I was completely calm and my blood pressure was totally normal. Okay. I want and people so, to do this box breathing. You inhale through breathing. your nose, you hold your inhale breath. Through your nose, inhale through your nose for four seconds. Hold your breath at the top for four seconds. Exhale through either your nose or your mouth. I do it through my nose for four seconds and then hold my breath at the bottom for four seconds. And, you know, this practice is used in many different scenarios from Navy SEALs to, uh, you know, like, I mean, if you just Google box breathing, it's, 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 it's a known thing, but I use it regularly. The other thing that I use is something called the stop smile. Obviously, I'm a positive, optimistic guy. I smile a lot. It's a big deal for me. When you smile, you actually release serotonin into the bloodstream. And it, it changes, it can change an environment for you. So something that I developed called the stop smile. I'm stressed out. I don't have a lot of time. I'm not in a place where I can just do some box breathing. I will, so this S in stop stands for smile. So I will smile, even if I'm just walking down the street, I will, I will smile until I start to feel better. So the T is for transition. So I smile. I, I start to transition and I can appreciate the transition because I'm actively working towards it. So I can say, okay, my bad mood that I was just in, my anxious, anxiety-ridden fucking mindset right now is transitioning from this anxious place to this better place. The O is for observe. So I'm observing this thing happening while I'm smiling and I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to feel bright, brighter. And I honestly feel like I'm going from anxious to okay and then the P is proceed. It takes about 30 seconds to do. And so I will do this. I'll be sitting at my desk and I'll just go, you're so like, how can you? And then I start paying attention and I'm like, wow, I'm smiling and I'm, and I'm feeling better. I'm transitioning and I'm, I'm observing the transition. <sighs> I'm better. I and love that. It. You know, because there is studies done that say if you smile and if you can say that you're happy, even if you're not, it you'll you will be happy. There is some kind of logic to that in a way. It releases it, there's a serotonin release into the system. And serotonin makes you feel good. The only thing I can imagine is you walking down the street smiling. And I can't imagine that people, boys and girls, are not turning around and following you, thinking that you're probably smiling at them. 
That would be wow. really funny and probably happens and you don't even realize it. Michael, it's such a pleasure. I feel like you're kind of my new guru only because I feel like I get you because I'm very similar to you. Very ritualistic, very, um, you know, I become obsessed with things and I do the same thing all the time. So I get you. Thanks for coming on Rich in Life. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for giving me the time. Uh, you guys are awesome and I can't wait to, uh, to, to see this thing drop. Great. Excited. We'll keep you posted. Brad will be in touch. Awesome, guys. All right. Take care, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.